And if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 13, as we continue our sermon series together, we are studying the life of Father Abraham. That was very good. I mean, this first service, they were like, huh? Uh, and so, um, Father Abraham, and we're going to see how he's united to us. Uh, we grew up uh, singing about a guy, didn't always know what it meant. Um, yes, one more time. Come on, you get ready. Here we go. Uh, if you're new to church, this might be an awkward couple of seconds here for you. But many of us who grew up in a church, we sang this song. It reminds us of our past. And we're hopefully going to unpack it for you to show you what it means. You ready? All right, here we go. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons says, Father Abraham, I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right. All right. Very good. Um, hey, Father Abraham, there is a man uh, that the Old Testament tells us about. His name begins as Abram. Uh, God will change that name to Abraham. And it's very important for us to know how we are associated with him. We really have to know, are we connected to this Father Abraham? Is he somehow a father to ours? We're going to find out that it's a spiritual father. Um, because in the Old Testament, Abraham is like the epicenter of God's blessing. God has come to this one man, and this is how God typically works. He comes to one man or one nation and blesses them. Why? So they could be a blessing to all nations. And so we'll see in Abraham a very much of a mirror of the life of Jesus and one who will point to Jesus. And he is this epicenter of God's blessing. It's kind of interesting. As you look at the Bible closely, you pick up Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But in Genesis 11, something was happening with the people. They were saying, forget God, forget being on mission for God. Let us build a city for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a great city, a great name. Let's even build a tower so we can tell God how we will relate to him. Very interesting. It's wandering away. Uh, but God had a better plan. He scattered them. He, he confused their language, got them back on mission. And everything, listen, everything that they long for, let me make it more important, everything that you long for, God blessed and promised Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to take you, and although your wife is barren, I'm going to multiply you. And your, 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 your family is going to be like the dust of the earth. We're going to see that today. And all of the blessings that God has promised to Abraham, if you follow the Bible story, they're going to weave their way, especially this promised seed, to Jesus. And then we're going to see it's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that's going to secure for us all that, that God had promised to Abraham. So he is our father. He's our father in faith. Abram believed in God's promises. He believed in a Jesus who would come. Didn't even know his name yet. And because of that, God says, you're righteous, Abraham. I accept you because of grace through faith. He's saved the same way we are. And the reality is, is he's our father through faith and the blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. Okay, I want to find out about the congregation. I think I know most of you. But right now, if you were on a game show, uh, you were on a game show and you just won a whole bucket of money. I mean, a lot of money. So much so you're starting to think, how much taxes is going to be on this money? I mean, you want a good amount. And right when they were about ready to leave and they were going to give you this big, huge check with all your winnings, they say to you, which they always do on these game shows, but wait a minute. You could either leave right now with your big Janimus check 
Or you could take what's behind door number two. And you don't know what's behind door number two. Now let's find out who you are. How many of you would say, take the money and run? All right. Most of y'all. How many would be honest and say, I'm a door number two kind of guy. Because, yeah, I love that. You know, you don't know what's behind door number two. You might, you might be missing something and you want to know what's there. Well, Abraham wasn't on a game show. He was living his life before God. And God gave him more than a bunch of money. God gave him a, a bunch of promises. I mean, he promises him. Listen, this is really important. God promised him so much. But Abraham looked at the promises of God, great name, uh, a future seed, uh, a city, a nation, blessings that everybody who blesses him will be blessed. Whoever curses him will be cursed. That's some really good blessings, is it not? And guess what he did? He'll say, I'll choose Egypt uh, for 300, please, Alex. He goes right out the back door. I mean, if you follow the life of Abraham geographically through the Bible... You'll find him coming down from the north, going into the promised land and walking right out door number two and looking for everything that Egypt had to offer him. Crazy. Who turns their back on all that God's promises for what could be behind door number two, which is called Egypt? You know, it's what we do. God's people have always had a thing for Egypt. Now, I'm not ripping on the nation right now of Egypt. So let's make that clear. In, in the Bible, Egypt represents that which the world has to offer. Egypt represents uh, that the things behind door two. And if you look very closely in the Bible story, everything that the world has to offer apart from God is slavery, is loss of life. No matter how good it temporarily feels, no matter what sin we find ourselves in, no matter what makes us wander away from God's promises, it'll never satisfy. And you know, as God's people, even even for those of us who know better, even those of us who have pried open door number two, we still have the propensity to go back. Even we know it doesn't offer us life. Even we know that it'd eventually be a headache. You gotta understand, we're a people that have the propensity to leave the promises of God to find out what Egypt has to offer. So we're going to look at three things today that will keep us faithful, um, keep us from going to Egypt. And there's three things I want to look at. This in the bulletin. One is this, returning to the place of promise. That we have to be a people who continually return to the place of promise. Secondly, passing the test of prosperity. And thirdly, God's call to uh, walk by faith and not by sight. God's call on our lives to walk by faith, not by sight. Let's look to God's holy word. We're going to pick it up right where we left off in Genesis 13. Um, Now, this was written by Moses, written a long time ago. Uh, If you want to put yourself in the sandals of the original hearing and listening audience, they had left Egypt. Uh, They had left Egypt because of these great plagues. God had delivered them from slavery and bondage, an amazing delivery through the Red Sea. They're now wandering, stumbling, bumbling, and complaining all the way to the promised land. And it's at this time that God has spoken to Moses and had him write this word for us. Now, this is not a story to entertain us. This is a story that God has given him to transform us. Because God's put his very being into Moses, we believe, uh, that this is God's word. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, God wants to speak to you. Uh, through his word this morning. Hear God's word in Genesis 13. 
So Abram went up from door number two, Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their, possess- for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram, uh, Abram's uh, livestock and the herdsmen of life's, Lot's livestock. And there were Canaanites and Perizzites. Parasites? Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring, your seed forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled uh, by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, thanks again for an amazing story yet again in your word. But God, would you graciously and lovingly do that which you've promised to do where two or more are gathered in your name. Would you come and be with us? And God, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? And God, would you give us ears to hear, not my voice, but your voice? And God, would you be gracious to us? And would you give us minds to understand your word? Would the Holy Spirit just illuminate your truth? And God, would you so be near to us that you would give us hearts of faith that that believe in you and your promises and your son Jesus and what he has done for us. Father, you might have to do even heart transplant this morning for those who have 
Hearts that are so cold because of sin and so dead because of unbelief. God, I pray that you would graciously give each one of us life and embracing your truth. God, I pray that you would come and be with us so tangibly, so so clearly that, that, God, we would be able to walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name. Walk out of here not by sight, but by faith. Faith that you're with us and faith that you're for us and faith that you'll get us home but we can walk in a manner that's worthy, worthy of the great name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The first thing I got to point out to you in in chapter 13 is is how the story pivots. Abram has been to uh, uh, Egypt. When he went to Egypt, Nowhere does it say he set up a place to worship God. Nowhere does it say that there's been a dialogue with God. Egypt was choosing door two for him. He walked away from everything that God promised and he was hoping for life. He sojourned there. And God graciously preserved him. We saw that last week. God graciously preserved his promises. And God blessed him. I mean, Abram should have been killed in Egypt because he kind of tricked the Pharaoh. And instead of being killed, here's the reality. Do you see what happens in verse 1 of chapter 13? He leaves Egypt with his wife, with Lot, and everything that they have. I just want to stop and just marinate there for just a second. Because you and I have the propensity to go to Egypt. And you and I have the propensity to choose door number two instead of the promises of God. And I want you to be marveling at how gracious God is. Even in the midst of our stumbling and bumbling, God is going to bless this man. And God is going to secure for this man's uh, uh, well-being and blessings. And here's the point that each one of us needs to hear. God redeems. That's what's broken. God redeems even our wanderings. Not always in our timing. Maybe not even our lifetime. But I just want you to know, those of you who wander to Egypt, those of you who are even there now, how gracious God is. God was so gracious to him, and he's able to leave with all that he went and even more. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine a father that blesses you after messing up? Can you imagine a father who doesn't want to just lead with a lecture, but wants to lead with love and grace and mercy? Do you know that's your heavenly father? Do you know him? I mean, just celebrate that amazing love of God. I would have given him a lecture. I would have got him in a headlock. But God says, let me let you leave. And let me let you leave out the back door, head back to the promised land. And let me tell you, I'm going to bless you every step of the way. But what does he do? He's returning to the place of promise. If you look at this story geographically, you'll see Abram go right down through the promised land, right into Egypt. He walked right out of the back door, chose door number two. But when we see him come back, he retraces his steps. He's going right back to the beginning. Right back to the, to the place that, that God had met with him. Right back to the place of worship. Right back to the place where God spoke to him. In verse 3 it says this, he went back to the beginning. I mean, he, he, and as he go, I want you to picture him. This is a good walk. I mean, this, is a, this is not a quick walk from Egypt back into the promised land. And as he goes, he's believing. As he goes, he's repenting. As he goes, he's confessing. And as he goes, he goes back to that place. In verse 4, he goes back to that at the first. Abram's retracing his steps. Abram's being reminded of what God has done. 
he's believing every step of the way. All right, how many of you all have the propensity, like some of us, to lose your wallet or your keys? Anybody every day ask where your wallet? Now quit nudging your spouses. They know who they are. But you know what? Some people think it's helpful when you ask a question. And some of us ask this question, like, hey, where's my wallet? Now here's an answer that some of us may often hear. Well, where did you leave it? Now, I don't know about logic, but if I knew where I left it, I wouldn't be asking where my wallet was, right? But there's really some wisdom in that. Well, where did you leave it? It's like, where do you remember last having it? Where do you remember last using it? Where were you? you what do you do? You retrace your steps. Where'd I go? I went here. I went there. I went to here. This is what he does. He lost the voice of God. He forgot the promises. Where do you go? Well, where'd you leave it? Go back to the beginning. You see, here's the gospel truth for us. Returning to the place of promise for all of our lives. Because you're like me, we're prone to wander. We need to be a people who return to the epicenter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Abraham is our father in faith. And he longed for all that God would provide for him. And we are the people on this side of the cross that know that all those promises rang true in Christ Jesus. And the epicenter of our life is right there at the cross of Christ Jesus. There's where we need to return to. The place of promise. The place that reminds us, you ready for this? Your sins have been nailed there. They cannot count against you anymore. The place that Jesus' righteousness has robed you. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased. You are a son, a child of the living God. You no longer are a slave. You no longer are an alien. You no longer are darkness. You are in God's marvelous light. And God wants us to continually live our lives returning to the place of promise of what Jesus has secured for us. Now listen, that's the epicenter. We don't start there and move away from there. That's where we build our whole lives. That's where we pitch our tent. That's where we find our identity, our joy, our security. Return to the place of promise where God's love is going to be lavished so deep and so well and so wide and so beautiful that he's going to wrap his arms around you and just remind you, you are mine. I live my life, I've told you this, I live my life oftentimes with, with tapes that run in my head that will say, go to Egypt. That, that there's something better out there. there. There's something better. There's something that I'm missing that I can find behind door number two. And it's almost daily I wake up and something will want to say, you're a slave. You need to work harder. You need to be better. And you and me, we got to go back to the epicenter of the gospel of God's promises. Whose are we? And what did he do to get us? And did his arms grow shorter? Is his promises going to fail? I just got to tell you, you know, if you're his, you're going home. And even as you wander, he's going to make sure you get there. But live your life returning to the place of promise. Second thing is this, passing the test of prosperity. It's kind of comical looking at verses five through nine. I mean, he had so much stuff. He had so many donkeys and camels and silver and gold. And his nephew Lot had so much stuff that they couldn't live in harmony together. Now let's take the beauty of God's word and let's step back and see this. Last chapter, Abram was tested by what? What led Abram to Egypt? Anybody remember? Famine. First test was famine. 
And he failed it. He failed the test. He said of staying where God had told him to be, he went behind door number two into Egypt. You know what happens when famine comes? We have the propensity to wander to Egypt. Why? Because we feel entitled. We give ourselves permission to wander. Let me give, maybe make that, let's take that out of the uh, clouds and maybe bring it down to your life. Maybe it's the famine of feeling loved. You know what? My, my marriage, I mean, you know, I don't feel love for my spouse. It's her, their fault. I'm entitled to be loved. I'm entitled to find satisfaction. So let me wander into Egypt. And maybe that's porn. And maybe that's somebody else's arms. I mean, somehow when famine comes into our life, somehow when we feel like there's something missing and we're longing for more, instead of going back to the source of God's blessing, instead of being reminded of who we are, we often wander and we go to Egypt. And here's the really crazy thing. We go there entitled. Well, God wants me happy. I mean, God wants me to be provided for. And I'm not getting it. And so therefore, I'm going to wander over here to find out what's good. We even blame it on God. I mean, if God really cared for me, he'd, he'd, he'd give me a better spouse. He'd have my kids behave better. He, he'd give me more money. I mean, he'd give me a better house. He'd give me a better name. Whatever, fill in the blank. Famine leads to entitlement. It leads to going to Egypt. But I think there might even be a, a harder test for us. And it's prosperity. If famine leads to entitlement, prosperity leads to forgetfulness. And so often we, we forget who our identity is found in. We forget that the stuff of Egypt is not supposed to bring us security and joy. Jesus, as only Jesus can teach in the Gospel of Luke, says, Do you know that it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Why? Because it's hard for us, if we have all of what Egypt offers, to realize it's nothing. It's dung compared to knowing and loving Jesus. And somehow we find worth in stuff instead of finding worth in God. You know, the, the, the test of prosperity is a very difficult one. And collecting what the world has to offer is dangerous stuff. Now, stuff in and of itself is not bad. You know that, okay? God's not saying go sell all your stuff. I mean, don't have any stuff. Just live with nothing. But what he is saying is you better hold everything you have that's from Egypt very, very loosely. And if it's ever becoming too important to you, you better watch what happens. Collecting what uh, Egypt offers is dangerous. Paul said in Philippians, Philippians 4, that he learned the secret of being content. The secret of being content in both plenty and want. He says this in Philippians 4.2. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be poor. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret of being content? You ready for this? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The secret of being content that he and he alone will be your identity, your joy, your security. And if he gives you a lot, praise be to Jesus. who Hold it very loosely and be extremely generous. And if he doesn't give you much, praise be to Jesus because he, wait to see how he is going to provide for you. And wait to see what a father he really is. I love the wisdom of the Proverbs that says, don't give me either famine or don't give me riches. Proverbs 3, 8, and 9, remove far from me falsehood and lying. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Passing the test of prosperity. How you doing? Thirdly, walking by faith, not by sight. Lot. <laughs> Lot chose by sight. So what he did, he lifted up his eyes. He looked around to what the world had to offer. He looked at the good stuff and he chose. And I love what scripture does. You can't miss this. Did you see the way Lot looked? He said this, he said this, I'm looking over here at the Jordan Valley. Woohoo! does that look good? Ready for this? It's like the Garden of Eden. What, what, what do you think the original audience who read that or heard that felt like? When it says it's like the Garden of Eden. That's a place of temptation. Man didn't do real well there. And so like the Garden of Eden is, is longing for paradise uh, without God. But he's also, he says this, not only is it like the Garden of Eden, what else does he say? It's like what? Egypt. <laughs> he's basically remembering, man, Egypt was awesome. They had some really cool stuff there. I, mean, I liked hanging out in Egypt. Now we're back in this. I'm living in a tent. What in the world's going on? Egypt. It reveals his heart. He wanted to choose like the garden. He wanted to choose like Egypt. But here's the real kicker that just hit us between the eyes. It says this, Lot chose for himself. He didn't pray. He didn't ask God. Lot looked out for Lot. And he said, I'm going to look for what's best for me. I mean, his, his uncle, Abram, was much more superior to him. He didn't even look at his uncle. He just looked out for Lot. And here's what he did. It says he moved his tent close to Sodom. And you got to understand that's how evil works. It's because you follow the story of Lot and he starts off with his tents outside of Sodom. And guess what happens? He's eventually going to be inside of Sodom. And guess where we're ultimately going to find him? Right at the city gate. He's right there. He's respected in Sodom. It's like the frog in the kettle. The closer we get to evil, the more we get numb, the more we just don't realize that our lives are sliding. And what do he do? He goes, I want to get as close to Egypt as I can get. I want all the world has to offer. It's interesting this too. It says that Lot journeyed east. East in the Bible is where the Garden of Eden is. East is basically trying to say, I want to go back and find what we lost on our own. Here's the point. You'll never get back into God's graces apart from salvation, apart from the blood of Christ, the work of Christ. We can't journey. We can't be good enough to find our way back home. Jesus has to come and rescue us and bring us home. But then you have Abram. Abram walked by faith. He succeeds. Where he failed last chapter, he's doing great. You know about Abram? He knew his chooser was broken. It was really broken. He chose door number two and it didn't turn out well. And the way he chose was so wise. He chose in a way that kept both peace with God and peace in the family. I know God's going to provide you. Go ahead, Lot, you choose. And what does God say? I'm going to affirm you. I'm going to bless you. <laughs> You're amazing. Look, look, look north, south, east, west. You see all this stuff? I'm going to give it to you and your seed. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you. Abram had this ability to fulfill Philippians 2, 3 through 4. One of my favorite passages of scripture that I absolutely hate. Do you have any of those? 
you love them and you hate them because they just, every time you read it, it's like, okay, just stop. I mean, just completely convicted. Help me. Listen, listen to what Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says. I'm not making this up. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, let's be realistic, but also to the interests of others. And here's the kicker. Have the mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ Jesus, who, my goodness, was equal to God, but he emptied himself to be a servant to come rescue us. I love choosing first. How about you? I'm a great first chooser. I mean, I really like choosing first because you can choose for yourself. I don't travel much, but when I do, I want to be the first one on the airplane. I want to get that first letter on there. I want to get the first. If there's a lady in a walker in front of me, I want to knock her down and get to my seat. I'm not kidding you. I want to get there. Why? Because my bag needs to be above my head at all times. I want to know where it is. I don't want it down there in another aisle. I want it above me. I want the aisle seat. I want to be comfortable. I love choosing first. Even in a restaurant. I like having sit where I want to sit. I don't want to be have my back to people I don't know who are coming in the door. They might be scary people. I want to know if you're coming in. Because I might need to slide out the back door if you see me in there. I love choosing first. Seats on an airplane. Restaurants. Priority. Boy. As long as I could pick what's best for me, how is it with you? You know, I love this. Uh, I, I love walking by sight. It's interesting. I, I've, heard, I've heard us pray, and I was just thinking about our prayers recently, thinking, you know, almost every one of our prayers is asking God to allow us to walk by sight. Almost every one of our prayers is saying, God, take away the things that are in front of us that we can't see, we can't control, we don't know what to do, so you got to deal with them, get them out of the way. I mean, I, I believe that God's calling us to say, God, whatever you have for us tomorrow, you are Emmanuel and you will be with us. Whatever you have for us and wherever we go, we know that you'll meet us. Would you give us grace? Would you meet us? Would you find us obedient? And Father, would you love us so well that no matter what happens, we will be a people who trust you. Whatever happens, that we will be a people that walk with you. Whatever happens, we'll, you'll, we'll know that you're a good father and you're a provider for us. I don't think I knew anything about walking by faith until Katie got cancer. And although I was a Christian for a really long time, and boy, do I feel like when I have to walk by faith that God's called me, I wobble. And don't you? But do you know how much that gives God honor and glory? Do you know that he wants us to come to him and just say, you are a good father and you are a great provider and you will never leave me nor forsake me and you're gonna meet me and you're calling me, you're giving me the privilege to walk by faith. And you know what he says to him at the end of this chapter? He says, all right, Abram, I want you to rise. Stand up, bro. I want you to rise and I want you to walk. And you want, you know, he says, I want you to walk around the whole thing. I just go, go look at the promised land I've given you. It's like, it's like when you give your kid a new bike for Christmas. Go ahead, get out of that bike, man. I can't wait to see you go. You know, the ancient Near Eastern kings, when they were given a territory, they walked around it. And every time they walked around, they said, mine, 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 mine. And God was saying to Abraham, walk around the whole thing. You just know it's giving it all to you. All for my glory. But I want you to rise. I want you to walk. I want you to walk in my promises. Listen, I want you to walk like a son. 
and not a slave. Quit. Don't think you're a slave. I I want you to walk and I want you to be free because I'm so radically for you. I want you to walk in my promises and I don't want you to go back to Egypt because I want you to be fully alive in your relationship with me. And I want you to walk in a way that you repent and you believe and that you're fruitful right here in the place of my promises. Do you know that Abram did better in a tent in the promised land than he did in the palaces of Egypt? How about you? Do you need to return to the place of promise? Are you in Egypt? Get yourself close to where God is in his promises, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are you doing with famine? Do you feel entitled because you got some famine in your life and that's entitled you and somehow God's messing with you and you could add these things in your life? How are you doing with the test of prosperity? You're not finding your identity, are you? That's not your security. And are you walking by faith? Because I'm telling you, your father's an amazing father. And Jesus is a great savior. And he hasn't lost a sheep yet. And he's going to get every one of us home. And he knows what he's doing. And find delight in walking by faith in a good father. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Abraham because in him we see ourselves. A bad chooser sometimes and a great chooser at other times. A man who walks by sight and a man who walks by faith. If that's not us, wow. But God, the hero of the story is not Abraham, it's you. Because you're the one who gets him out of Egypt and you're the one who blesses him on the way out. (laughs) And you're the one who gets him back to the place of promise, that, that altar, that place of worship. And you're the one who lifts up his head and you're the one who reaffirms your promises. Because God, you are both the promise-making God and the promise-keeping God. And our hope is not in Abraham. Our hope is in Abraham's seed. And that's your son, Jesus. And he has secured for us life and life abundantly. And in his name and in his blood, we have been forgiven and we have been set free. And now we have the joy, the joy of returning to the epicenter of the gospel and your love. We have the joy of enduring test of famine and prosperity for your namesake. We have the joy of walking by faith, not by sight. God, make us people, not of eyes, but of ears, and follow our good shepherd all the way home. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.